Yeah. Three C's, my fiance. Yeah. Whoa. Hey. Yeah. Whoa. Say what? Hey. Whoa. Three C's, my fiance. Yeah. Whoa. It's going down. Whoa. Y'all know what time it is. Welcome to season two of No BS. It's an exciting time here at No BS. Today we have Colin, Isaiah, and Ryan. Ryan's going to be our little special guest for our first segment today. But you know, Colin is his first episode on No BS. He's on Wild Sports Talk. He's a great moderator. So we're going to let him take it away on moderating for No BS today and maybe for future episodes. Colin, how are you today? I'm doing good, Trevor, and thank you to the team for the invite. It's a privilege to be here and be a part of the uh, No BS team, and I'm ready to get started. I don't know about you guys. I am as well. Isaiah, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm ready to rock, man. I got uh, my Lakers jersey on. Basketball is back after like a three-month period where, you know, we didn't even know if sports was going to come back, but I am just so thankful that basketball is back, and the chase to this starts tonight man the chase to lebron's fourth championship that's going to put him over michael jordan all right very good stuff so let's get on into it the first topic that we have is the nfl players top 100 and we're looking at the spots one through ten give me a couple seconds to pull up the list real quick and i will tell you and we are golden all right, guys, here's the list. What do you guys think about this list right here? Isaiah, I want to start with you because I know you have some great takes on this. All right, so, all right, so if you want to see, can y'all hear me? Yes, yeah, you're good. Hear you now. Yeah, I, I scrolled through the left, and for some reason, my mic got unmuted, but if you guys want to see me and Callan's initial reaction to the bombshell that dropped last night, which was Lamar Jackson being ranked number one and Patrick Mahomes being ranked number four, just pull up the Wild Sports Talk episode from last night and go to the one hour, 26 minute mark and you will see it. We all walked off the set in disgust. When I first saw this, I had one word that just kept constantly coming into my head and that was, how, 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 and how? How is this even possible that after the season Patrick Mahomes had, that Lamar Jackson and also Russell Wilson and Aaron Donald are ranked above him? Obviously, the NFL players are taking advantage of the NFL's new policy that makes weed legal in the NFL. That's the only way to explain this. That, like that, They are just high as heck. I don't. Like, there's no other way to explain it. It doesn't make sense one bit. I am probably one of the biggest Patrick Mahomes haters out there. Um, in fact, as you guys know, I'm a huge 49ers fan. And literally the day after the NFC Championship game, when my 49ers completely pummeled the Packers and clinched a spot in Super Bowl 54 and the opportunity to face Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, I boldly went on one of our shows and declared that I wasn't scared of Patrick Mahomes one bit and that my 49ers would embarrass him in the Super Bowl. Obviously, looking back on that, I was super wrong on that. But even to me, as a big Mahomes hater, Mahomes is the best player 
in all of the NFL. Last season, despite missing two games with a knee injury, he still managed to pass for 4,031 yards with 26 touchdowns and five interceptions, while Lamar Jackson had just 3,127 yards passing with 36 touchdowns and six interceptions. Mahomes had way, way, way more passing yards than him despite playing fewer games. In fact, Lamar Jackson was 22nd in all of the N- in yeah in all of the NFL in terms of passing yards behind guys like Kyler Murray, Gardner Minshew, and the definition of rubbish, Mitchell Trubisky. Obviously, Lamar is the better runner. But Mahomes is a 500 times better passer than Lamar Jackson. If you can't pass in the NFL, you're not going to win games. That's just plain and simple. Just look at in the playoffs where Lamar Jackson was exposed big time by the Tennessee Titans. Tennessee shut down the run game and forced him to pass the ball. And they made him look like a high schooler playing against an NFL team. That's how bad it was. I believe that if Mahomes and Lamar swap places and you put Mahomes on the Ravens and you put uh, Lamar, yeah, Lamar on the Chiefs. I believe that the Chiefs would be worse with Lamar than they are with Patrick Mahomes, and that they would get bounced out either in the wild card round or the divisional round every year because of Lamar's inability to pass the ball. While Baltimore would flourish with Mahomes and be a Super Bowl contending team every year, despite Kansas City having better weapons than them. It is just downright disrespectful and a total disgrace that the NFL players decided to do this and put Lamar at one while Mahomes is at number four. They all need to be drug tested immediately and also tested for CTE because something is clearly wrong with their brains. And if I'm the other 31 NFL teams besides Kansas City, I would be really worried right now because last year, Patrick Mahomes had an outstanding year. And now you put this huge, huge chip on his shoulder and make him extremely pissed off by releasing this garbage of a list. Like Dwayne Haskins said when he watched his childhood team, the Giants, pass on him in the NFL draft a couple of years ago. The league done messed up. That's right. The league done messed up in this situation. Now, Get ready, because Patrick Mahomes is going to be angry. He's going to come in with a chip on his shoulder. He's going to come in with a mission, and he's going to torch all the NFL teams like they haven't seen before. What an amazing hot take you got there, Isaiah. <laughs> Colin, do you think you can top that hot take? <laughs> there, There's no way that I can top the hot take, that is for sure. I think Isaiah is probably the king of the hot takes, that is for sure. I, I think I lost my voice just now. <laughs> you probably did, honestly. But, I mean, you know, these lists, I think, infuriate sports fans regardless if our guys are on the list or not. And this top ten is probably one of the more interesting ones I've seen where we've got Lamar, we've got Mahomes, Wilson. Three quarterbacks are in the top 10, and frankly, like, Rodgers isn't in the top 10. Uh, Matt Ryan is not even on this list, which I think is very alarming as well or very concerning. But I think I look at this, though, like, here's some bulletin board material or a motivating factor for Patrick Mahomes. You know, here he comes off winning the Super Bowl, you know, this, you know, uh, amazing season, leading his team to a comeback victory. And – you know, the, the disrespect, I mean, my goodness gracious. Now, again, I think that both Jackson and Mahomes are great quarterbacks, but I think though, if they were to swap places, it could be a whole nother story. But I think that the whole list though, in general, I mean, Lamar probably is 
probably one of the more agile uh, rushing or running quarterbacks probably per, uh, I mean, I would think he is. He, he looks very mobile and can do a lot of things on his feet. Uh, of course, Russell Wilson's got a great arm. Mahomes can do a lot of different things, whether it's behind the back passes or other things that he's able to do. Uh, but the whole top 10, though, I mean, honestly, I think Aaron Donald, uh, Donald is a very great defensive presence uh, over the past. Uh, he has been one for sure. Michael Thomas, very elite. Uh, receiver McCaffrey, of course, uh, doing things too, running the football. George Kittle, I think, great for him, making the top 10 across the board. I think Hopkins is in the top 10 now. We'll see how he transitions over to playing in uh, Arizona after his time in, uh, in Houston and also uh, Stephen Gilmore. We'll see how uh, this goes on. And also Derek Henry, very good running back. But at the same time, though, uh, I don't know if, there, if you really need to tick off the, uh, you know, the reigning champs, like uh, having Pat Mahomes at fourth with Lamar Jackson being number one. I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, Trevor, but it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out, though. I agree with you on that. And Ryan, how, how's the beach going in for you? You know, tuning in from the beach, how are you today? Oh, oh I'm Ryan. doing just fantastic right now. And um, yes, I'm out here in the Outer Banks. It is absolutely beautiful out here. I've gotten, I've seen many dolphins. There have been many dolphin sightings, like swimming distance from shore. So it's been really cool. Been on vacation, but I had to take a slight break to react to this top 10 list with you guys. And my main reaction was similar to Isaiah's in that Patrick Mahomes being number four and Lamar being number one is an absolute joke. It is absolutely just it's downright dumb look I get Lamar was the MVP and yes he had a very good season but his skill set is very limited Isaiah alluded to this if you put him on the Chiefs he the Chiefs would be worse off because yes he is one of the greatest runners we've ever seen at the quarterback position however his passing game does still need to develop this past year with the Ravens, we saw a very limited passing game that was mostly tight ends and running backs. Wide receivers weren't really involved. And that's the thing that upsets me. A lot of a lot of like NFL insiders say that Lamar didn't have a ton to work with on offense and point to his wide receivers as the main reason. Well, the Ravens offense just straight up doesn't use wide receivers. They rely heavily on tight ends and running backs, of which the Ravens provide Lamar Jackson top five in both those categories, I believe. So he is very good in his system, but to be the best player in the NFL, you should be able to excel no matter the circumstances. And to me, Lamar does that. Every single offense can utilize Mahomes' skill set. He would work in every single offense. Meanwhile, Lamar, you have to tailor an offense to him. And while he is an MVP level player in the system he's playing in, don't get me wrong, he's absolutely amazing in that system. It just wouldn't translate well to other teams. And I don't think that no and for the and for you to be the number one player and that be the case, I I just I just don't like it at all. I mean, for goodness sake, the man scored two points in the precision passing skills competition. There was two wide receivers that scored double or triple the points he scored in an accuracy-based competition. Like, like that's just ridiculous. And I don't know. I, I've mainly just been on a rant. 
probably not cohesive, but in short, Lamar better. Lamar is not the best player in the NFL. And frankly, I'd leave him outside my top 10, probably around like the 11 or 12 range. But the, as for the other people ahead of him, Aaron, Don, Aaron Donald, I can completely understand because the man's an absolute beast, the best defender in all the NFL. I mean, the man does something that, um, you know, defensive tackles shouldn't be doing in the NFL. So I could see putting him at number one, which he has been the past few years. And then Russell Wilson's the only quarterback I would even consider putting ahead of Patrick Mahomes. But even then, I don't. So the list should go Aaron Donald at one. Aaron Donald or Patrick Mahomes at one. One of, one of those two have to be number one. Anyone but them is just wrong. Wow. I see Isaiah is upset down there. Isaiah, why are you upset? <laughs> so you're, you're going to tell me you're going to put Aaron Donald at number one over Patrick Mahomes. Ryan, let me give you some stats. Aaron Donald. Oh, hold on, hold on. Before, <laughs> before you do that, just know that this isn't a list of most impactful because it was if he Patrick Mahomes. We're talking best player. Yeah, and best in player. terms of how good at they – how good they are at their position, Aaron Donald has a very, very strong case to be the best player in the NFL because just because of what he can do, how he impacts the game as a defensive tackle, both in the run game and the pass game. We've really never seen anything like this before. Yes, we've seen defensive tackles that are run stoppers and can occasionally rush the pass, occasionally rush the passer, but Aaron Donald is probably the best pass rusher could be the best pass rusher in the game while being a great run defender. So, yeah, his impact on defense easily can be – easily can lend him to be the number one player. Absolutely. Let me give you some stats. Last year, Aaron Donald had 20 sacks. This year, he had 12. Aaron Donald, I hate to tell you this, Ryan, but he's on the decline, man. He just wasn't as effective this year. That's why I wouldn't put him – at number one. In fact, I was stunned when they had Aaron Donald at three. I would probably put him like maybe with the season that he had, I would probably put him at like bottom 10, maybe somewhere like that. But <gasps> no. Go ahead. Go ahead. You just, you just look, you, yes, his sack numbers were down, but you can't go just off sack numbers. How often did he pressure the quarterback? How often did he win, win in like, pass rushes like there's more to it than just sacks like you can affect the game while not getting a sack because look at the tape and tell and show me a play where Aaron Donald isn't getting double teamed and I'll tell you which plays he's not being double teamed it ends with him getting a sack yeah but his tack if you look at his tackles numbers as well his tackle numbers have been down as well so like this list I think is based on the performance of this past season so I wouldn't put Aaron Donald at three. I would probably put him like somewhere like maybe eight or nine-ish simply because I think other guys like George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey, they had better years than him and they impact the game more because I think when you're an offensive player, you impact the game more than a defensive player. I'm not trying to disrespect defensive players, but that's just how it is. So that's that's the only problem I have with Aaron Donald. And you're Lamar – I mean, yeah, you're Lamar Jackson point. I think putting him outside the top ten is – kind of too bold of a take 
I think he's the third best quarterback behind Russell Wilson and Mahomes. Or oh, Mahomes. don't get me wrong. I completely agree with that. He is the third best quarterback, but my point was I just don't think he's a top 10 player, and especially not the number one player, simply because his skill set requires a very specific offense to, you know, to know, to know, to know run. I mean, I don't know. It's just that limited nature of his skill set that, that really just lends me to not put him in the top 10, even though I still rank him very highly in terms of the best quarterback at number three. Yeah. Um, well, I still have to take my take. There's one important thing that I looked at. Why is George Kettle so higher than Travis Kelsey? I'm very outraged about that. It just doesn't make sense. But it's just like, come on. Travis Kelsey put so much more, got more receiving yards, so much more than George Kettle. Like, it's a no-brainer. Also, Julian Edelman got left off this 100s list completely. He even reached 1,000 yards in receiving and getting six touchdowns. And if you look at Keenan Allen, yes, Keenan Allen almost had, I guess, close to 2,000 yards receiving and six touchdowns. But it's like, at what point do you classify a wide receiver can reach the top 100 if they don't crack over 1,000? So it's a really close to being that. And one last thing for for me is – why is there no kickers on this list? Kickers can't get love. They kick 50 yards. No, they can't. Yet they don't get put in the top 100. They win or lose games for teams, yet they're not on this list. I feel like it's a little disrespect. Okay, Trevor, then if we're going to add a kicker to this list, then who's your top guy to go to then if that's the case? You know, it's tough because, like, it depends on certain scenarios. Like, some kickers come up big in those big games. Like, I would put, like – if Adam Vinatieri was still in the league, I would put him in my number one spot because he's just like a clutch kicker and old reliable, and he rarely misses. But at the, in the past few years, he started to missing those easy chip shots. So it kind of devalues him over time. But, like, he would at least be, like, in the bottom, like, in the 80s if you were going to put a kicker on there just to have a kicker on there. He's not but one Trevor. of those players who would shock the world or anything, but, like – He's like overliable at that point. It's like Tom Brady. He's like overliable. You can't leave him out. Trevor, but kickers don't get hit. Everyone that plays football, everyone that's on the top 100 list gets just absolutely destroyed week in and week out. <laughs> they put their bodies on the line. Meanwhile, kickers go like just, you know, skip out there on the field, kick a field goal and call it a day. Like, come on, man. They're not even playing football. There's so much pressure as a kicker. You get iced out there. Come on. A 50-yard kick with one second, the other team calls a timeout. Are you going to make that kick or are you going to miss it and watch your crowd boo at you? You're going to have mental nightmares from that. You might as well start putting punters on this list too then, Trevor, if that's the case. Oh, no, punters have a little bit more relaxing on that point, but like... Well, hold on, hold on. What about long snappers? Since we're going... Or long snappers. snappers. But no, also, Trevor, you're saying all these guys make 50-yard field goals. They get paid millions of dollars to do one job. I expect them to do that one job, you know, fairly well. Well, that's like a running back. Their one job is to run the ball, if not like a short little flare-out. That's it. (laughs) 
kicks that they run the ball like 20 times a game and gets <laughs> just absolutely destroyed at the end of it. Kicker. A kicker can the kick the ball they, 20 times a game. <laughs> but they don't. <laughs> Not if the team's running up the score. <laughs> I'll say the one t- any time like a kicker or a punter like actually hits someone, it's like a highlight for the next five years. You don't want to know why? Because it doesn't happen. It's disrespectful to the players that actually go out there and play real football. <laughs> Kickers are basically playing soccer out there. I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> but no, um, I gotta head out soon. But before I do, I wanna just give my uh, additional other takes on the top ten list. Number one, well, before I do that, number one, this list overall wasn't terrible. I do think Derrick Henry should not have made the top 10. He should have been, like, in the 15 range. Who should have made this list, who wasn't on this list, was uh, Julio Jones, because he's a better wide receiver than DeAndre Hopkins, and Bobby Wagner, best linebacker and one of the best defensive players just in general. He's an absolute monster and for sure should have been on this list. He was ranked 13, so it's Bobby Wagner was ranked 13th, and Hulu was ranked 11, so it's not too bad. But I still think they should get that, you know, little extra nudge of credit. And then, as I said, Derrick Henry and Lamar Jackson, I would have left off. And then outside of that, yeah, yeah, nothing, nothing too bad outside of that, honestly. Gilmore made the list, which I was scared he wouldn't. Um, Michael Thomas is ranked fifth, which I agree with. The man. An absolutely monstrous season, setting all kinds of records. And yeah, top 10, it wasn't too bad. It was some of the other, you know, selections on this list that really, really made me question the players' intent when they voted for this list. And before I go, I want to answer Isaiah's statement, how he said, how could the players possibly have ranked Mahomes number four? I have a theory. And it's that the man's going to make more money than entire rosters combined. And they're, you know, probably a little jealous of this man making half a billion dollars, which who wouldn't be. So that may have swayed the vote a little bit. But overall, outside of Patrick Mahomes and then a couple guys being placed a few spots lower and a couple guys being placed a few spots higher, honestly, it wasn't that bad. It's much better than, say, a list con Cowherd or Stephen A. Smith would put out. So, you know, there's positives and everything. Ryan, I'm just glad you didn't mention Matt Ryan because if you had mentioned Matt Ryan, who knows? I might have ripped up more paper than I already had. I mentioned Matt Ryan and he didn't do anything. So what's up with that? (laughs) (laughs) I I ripped up enough paper already yesterday. I ripped up like, I don't even know how many paper I ripped up. At the end of the show, my whole table was filled of like ripped up paper. Although, before I go, I've been on the Matthew Stafford bandwagon for a while, and I'm going to, you know, stay on that bandwagon. How is Matthew Stafford not on the top 100 list? Uh, like, can someone please answer me that? Why does He plays in Detroit. Man? Simple as that. But still, you ha- people around the country have the internet. They can look up this man's stats and see how good he was playing before he got hurt. I'm not asking him to be in the top 10. I'm simply asking him at least be on this list at the very least. And I personally would put him in like in the top 30, maybe definitely in the top 25, but yeah. Okay. That's... This is exactly why we need that boom goes the dynamite moment. 
like takes like the the man missed dude the guy played three games last year and he was out for the rest of the season you think he should be top 30 unbelievable um your math is a slightly off add five to the three and you have eight games which is the number he actually played Uh, go ahead, Trevor. I, I, I'm done, man. I, I lost my voice ranting about Mahomes already. I think that's going to be it for me. Uh, thank you guys for having me on, and uh, I will catch you guys later. All right, man. Sounds good. Did we lose Trevor? Trevor, you there? <laughs> Trevor, you there? Uh, we're back. Yeah, I'm back. Uh-oh, I think Trevor's having technical difficulties. Yeah, go go on to the next topic. <laughs> well, that next topic, folks, is uh, over in Major League Baseball, not concerning the Marlins, not concerning uh, games being postponed, uh, but one Shohei Otani with the Los Angeles Angels, who after a disastrous start on Sunday versus Isaiah's Oakland A's, uh, brings the question, Isaiah, we'll start with you on this, and this was posed in our uh, show rundown tonight. But Isaiah, obviously, I can recall, like I said a couple times already, that there's that there was reports that Otani in his um, summer camp start, uh, one of them or an inter-squad scrimmage, had nine walks issued, came back, looked better. But then this past Sunday, man, he does not record an out in the first inning, gives up a five-run first, is pulled out of the game without, as mentioned, uh, uh, getting an out. So uh, the question being, Isaiah, should the Angels be panicking after Shohei Otani's disastrous return to the mound this past weekend. I believe that Billy Epler, Joe Madden, and the Los Angeles Angels absolutely should be panicking after what they saw on Sunday from Shohei Otani. It was very troubling to watch. I understand that he was coming off Tommy John surgery, and pitchers take some time to get back to the old form. But the reason why I believe that the Angels should be panicking is because I saw a bunch of major red flags from that start from Shohei Otani. Let's look at his fastball. When Shohei Otani was in Japan, he and also his first season with the an Angels, he was averaging 96 to 100 miles an hour on his fastball, and he had wicked movement on his off-speed pitches. This past Sunday, Shohei Otani averaged 90 to 93 miles an hour on his fastball. He only hit 94 miles an hour once on his fastball, and his off-speed pitches had no movement whatsoever on them. That's why they were always flattening towards the middle of the plate, and the ace hitters would just blast it into the outfield for base hits or even doubles or even home runs. So I think that is very concerning, that dr drastic dip in velocity. Um, if he can't get his old velocity on his fastball back, then I think that Shohei Otani's pitching career might be in jeopardy because I don't think he can be the same pitcher like he was uh, like before the surgery, like with that, um, with that 90s. Well, yeah, without that 96. Can you guys hear me, by the way? Yeah, you're good. Right, yeah. Yeah, I don't think he can be the same without that 96 to 100-mile-an-hour fastball. I just don't because he's a strikeout artist, and without that, and you're throwing 90 to 93 with no movement on your pitches, um, I, I think he's going to be more of a fourth or fifth starter, to tell you the truth. Trevor, I would think that if things don't improve, like after this start, maybe two starts, if things don't improve and it's the same story same. over and over again with runs being allowed and – 
not recording outs, the pitch count already getting up in the, uh, you know, up as it climbs in that first inning, that the Angels may have to give Otani an ultimatum. Either you're going to, you know, still pitch on Sundays, but if it doesn't improve after X amount of starts, you're going to you're going to have to become the full-time DH. And he actually hit a three-run homer last night in their 10-7 loss to Seattle. But Trevor, what do you think, though, that should there be some sort of a, you know, a panic already after one start for Otani again coming off of Tommy John surgery? I think, like you said, you got to give him a little bit more time, like maybe after the second start. If, that, if there's no improvement or any signs of improvement, I think you got to start rethinking. You only got 60 games to play this, and even still, you don't know if the team's going to get the coronavirus and you're going to be reducing the number of games. So, like, you have to treat as if every game is, like, a last-ditch effort to get into the playoffs. So I think after the second game, you, and he doesn't make any sense of improvement. You got to pull him and just maybe try to slowly work him back in. Like maybe put him in like the sixth inning and give him some few warm-ups in there to at least get his arm and form back into it versus him playing in the first three innings in that sense. Because that first three innings could be the, the fact of you winning or, or losing that game. A thing with like the six through nine. So it's like if you put him in the middle, it's all right if you he plays four through six. There's not a huge risk in there because you can always make a comeback in the game. Isaiah, do you think that that that, that might be like a, another part of this ultimatum that we've been kind of proposing? You know, if it's not, if it's another bad start, you know, DH for you know DH full time. Or I think Trevor's onto a very valid point though. Man, is could the Angels? give Otani a chance in relief maybe if they have a lead to clutch or if they want to just kind of get him out there and maybe a game that's out of control if they're ahead or they're way behind the eight ball. But uh, could that be a way to kind of maybe help ease him back into being a pitcher again? Yeah, you know, Trevor brings up a great point. I, I didn't even think of that before. Uh, I think the Angels absolutely should consider throwing Otani in uh, at relief because if you think about it, Shohei Otani, even if he loses velocity, but he can get his uh, – if he can get his pitches – uh, like his off-speed pitches back up to where he – it was his old off-speed pitches, then – like he will be one of the best relievers we've ever seen because those off-speed pitches he has, that movement is nasty. Like nobody will be able to touch any of those pitches. So I believe, you know, if he uh, ends up like doesn't, uh, yeah, if he doesn't uh, do good this upcoming Sunday, then I think the Angels absolutely should uh, put him in relief. Like just like the A's do with Jesus Lazardo, have him start in the bullpen for like three innings. And then it's going to be like a bridge from your starter to uh, your closer. So, again, I think that's probably some valid points made there. And, guys, we'll kind of stay with baseball for a little bit here. You don't want to go too far ahead again as we have other things, uh, uh, one more or two more summits here after this. But I guess, Trevor, uh, again, uh, we've pretty much have touched base on this on uh, on Wild Sports Talk Monday and yesterday. But, of course, um, very chaotic week for Major League Baseball, dealing with the Miami Marlins and their situation. Now the Phillies, of course, have also been shut down. Uh, thankfully, though, mercifully, no players have tested positive. But, again, a coaching staff member – also, a member of the home clubhouse staff at the at uh, Citizens Bank Park have, in fact, tested positive for COVID-19 in wake, of course, of the uh, Miami Marlins and their 19 positive tests over the past several days. And we've had a lot of reports about, you know, uh, strip clubs being visited while they were in Atlanta last week for an exhibition game. We've heard about a, uh, you know, a group chat, a group text message uh, of them proceeding on to play with the game, despite knowing that they had players that, in fact, had positive tests. Trevor, how chaotic in your mind has this week for Major League Baseball been? 
It's been too chaotic. Come on now. Like, guys going to strips clubs at the beginning of the season, you haven't even won the World Series. Why are you even there in the first place? You're trying to get into the playoffs and win the game. And by you doing this is disrespecting the fans, the teams that are playing it, the coaches and other family members that could be affected by this just for you to have fun. Come on. Isn't the game of baseball supposed to be fun enough for you? And you just going to do other stuff? Is that really necessary? I understand there's family issues and you have to go to if funerals come up. That's valid. But if you go outside and do other stuff that validates what they tell you that you can and can't do, that's just disrespecting your organization. The people that you, the fans that you yourself and other parts of your team. So by doing this, it's just disrespectful to those that are in this league. Isaiah, pretty much Trevor, uh, Trevor echoing all the sentiments that have, I think have been shared by baseball fans, not just us three or even uh, my, uh, me and you and John Mathis last night, though. But, you know, self-centered, very selfish. You know, hey, look at us. We're enjoying ourselves. And, again, holding a Lou Williams as that game gets underway very shortly uh, here tonight on this Thursday. Uh, but, again, Isaiah, between the Marlins, between the Phillies having to postpone or at least stop the remainder of their games for right now, but again, if there's any saving grace or any good news for baseball, again, thankfully, no Philly players yet have tested positive, again, with the exception of one member of their coaching staff and a home clubhouse attendant. Uh, Isaiah, I know, man, we still have one more day or, you know, we have one more work day tomorrow. And then, of course, the weekend for, to wrap up this very, very chaotic week for baseball. But, man, it's been a very ever-changing story ever since Sunday. Yeah, it has, man. And, you know, I'm pretty sure a lot of the people like know how I feel about it. I went on an epic rant yesterday about the Marlins. Listen, the Marlins, they were selfish. And I just think, you know, right now we're in a pandemic, you know, and a lot of the people right now, they don't care that their actions have an impact on other people's lives. And that's what really pisses me off because like, we could have like this pandemic could have been smaller than what it is right now. But instead with people not caring, people not wearing masks, people going out to parties and stuff like that, it's turned out to be this massive mess that it is right now, which, and it's going to take like years to fix. And, you know, from the, with the Marlins thing, like I said yesterday, if you guys are bored in the hotel, like go read a book, go binge watch some movies or something like go run around the hotel and play tag or whatever. Like seriously, just it's it, it's unacceptable what they did and it, like just like Lou Williams as well it's unacceptable and like they I think Major League Baseball should really come down hard on this they should set a, a an example of for people that you know if you if you're gonna go to a strip club or you know you're gonna go out there and break MLB protocol you don't deserve to play you don't follow the rules you don't deserve to play plain and simple you know Trevor one more thing about this that I did not bring up on the wild sports talk episode last night, but I did bring up on my morning program a couple days ago with John Matt with, uh, with Jonathan Mathis was, you know, if in fact there's more light shed on this strip club incident from when they were in Atlanta a week before, you know, the week of the opening series uh, in Philadelphia after that exhibition game, then forget postponing the games. I say, if Rob Manfred wants to make a statement, and of course we know that he, you know, mishandled two sign ceiling allegations uh, scandals with Houston and Boston. And of course he's kind of in a way fumbled getting baseball back on the map during this ongoing pandemic is it's pretty plain, simple in my mind, forget postponements, make those games forfeits. That was a very bold take forfeiting is huge, but at the same time, if it's like 
was it was the entire team at the strip club can you confirm that there's been no of nothing further confirmed or said or said yet but again we're kind of waiting for this to kind of in a way much like the ongoing pandemic confluence of events to keep on changing so let's assume that not everyone on the team went so if you're gonna let's say let's say 10 guys went you're gonna punish the entire team for those 10 guys actions i would just say remove those 10 guys from the team or put them on probation until X amount of weeks pass by or X amount of games. Like you could say you're on a 10 game probation. You can't come back until those 10 games have passed. I know that might be a little bit harsh, but he's trying to set up the standards if other people try to do those actions. Isaiah, does this become a case if again, more light in fact is shed on this, you know, single event. And again, I think Trevor's onto a good point though. If, if the whole team wasn't out there, stuff of that, of that nature, but if the league doesn't issue something, should the Marlins themselves impose some sort of a uh, internal in-house ordeal, like probation, a suspension to any of those players that were in fact at that strip club in Atlanta? Yeah, absolutely they should, because what those players did were, was totally unacceptable. Not only are you endangering yourselves, but you're endangering other people. So, and I really think, you know, going back to Trevor's point, I, I disagree with Trevor. I think the whole Marlins organization was involved in this in, at some point because, yes, not the whole team might have gone to the strip club, but they also did a group. There was also a group text that the Marlins players were texting uh, within themselves like they were deciding whether to play or not because they knew that some of the uh, Marlins players had tested positive and they still decided to play which I think is utterly ridiculous which put other people in danger of catching this virus and nearly canceled the season so I think it does in fact go back to as mentioned uh, the reports on Sunday again the group uh, the group getting together and as a unit uh, voting to play that game still against the Phillies which again could have endangered the whole Phillies ball club, but also more than else, though, did in, did in fact infect a, a coaching staff member for the Phillies and also a home clubhouse attendant as well. But again, we'll keep an eye on baseball as things do in fact move on, fellas. But also tonight, guys, the return of professional basketball. The, uh, while the women's NBA has been going on for the last month or so, guys, the NBA is in fact back tonight with the Lakers and Clippers down in the bubble. Uh, Trevor, very plain and simple, man. Lakers, Clippers, which team has the most pressure in your mind on them and why? I feel like personally, I think it's LeBron James and the Lakers. It's the LeBron James legacy that people are going to be looking at. Can he win a ring in a weird circumstance? And like, will they be able to compare it to a Jordan experience? So let's say I'll put a hypothetical weird fantasy out there. Let's say if LeBron James gets the coronavirus, would it be similar to the Jordan flu game? Would it be up to that par? So it's like, can LeBron James do it? So if he's able to get past that and win the championship, then it's like, you have a discussion there. But if he doesn't and the Lakers fail, people are going to be pointing back at the Jordan issue yet again. It's like he couldn't win it with AD and the Lakers, a decent, good Lakers squad, and he couldn't get it done. They're just going to keep pointing fingers back at LeBron. So I think it's more of a LeBron James pressure than just the Lakers alone. Isaiah, do you agree that there's more perhaps on single players on the Lakers, LeBron, AD, more so than the entire team as a whole for pressure? Um, no, I think it's – well, I think yes. I think it's on LeBron and AD. They both have uh, more pressure than the entire team simply because they're the superstar players. And if you're not – the like the superstar players don't come to play, then you're obviously going to get killed. But I think to your first question – I, I think 
I think the Clippers are the one with the more pressure because if you look at from the when they got Kawhi and Paul George uh, in the summer, everybody was saying the Clippers had the better team. Everybody was saying the Clippers are the prohibitive favorites to win the NBA title. People were like, yeah, they said the Lakers, you know, they did get AD, but I don't think they can get past the Clippers. So the Clippers have been the favorites the entire year. And if they can't, uh, if they choke or yeah, if they choke and they can't, you know, get to the finals or even win the chip, then I think it will be a, a massive failure and a huge upset considering they have the superstar power with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Plus, they've got massive depth with Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, Montrose Harrell, Landry Shamit, and the rest of those guys. So I think the Clippers have the better team and the pressure is on them. You know, guys, I think there's equal pressure on both teams. The Lakers have the pressure for one thing. You know, it's their first time in the playoffs in about five years, 2012-2013, that disastrous first year with Dwight Howard, Kobe, and Steve Nash, where, of course, they were swept out in the uh, first round by San Antonio. But also that now they've given LeBron another bonafide superstar in Anthony Davis. And again, I said last night, though, that I feel like that the Clippers, their team chemistry in my mind still could be off because of how many times we had seen Kawhi Leonard play one game, Paul George sitting out, vice versa. But also that the Clippers, for this game at least, no Harrell, no Beverly, uh, and no Lou Williams because of either leaving the bubble or, of course, uh, Mr. Williams going to Magic City, USA, and uh, up there in ATL. But that the Lakers have the pressure because first time back in the playoffs, they said in five years, you know, historic franchise, winning culture. The Clippers, I think, they'll probably get more of the pressure in my mind. Much like I said about Isaiah, though, but this is like the first legitimate shot that we have seen that the Lakers and Clippers for the first time in Los Angeles, I believe in their histories that they could face off in the postseason. They came close, I think in 2007, 2008, when uh, Steve Nash knocked the Lakers out, I think uh, somewhere in that time frame. but there, I think there's more pressure on the Clippers to like, okay, look, you know, we've been labeled the little brother franchise since 84. We've had a very good run over the past five, six, seven years kind of becoming the top dog now. But as Ric Flair would say, to be the man, you got to beat the man. And that would have to be for them to beat the Lakers in a meaningful playoff series. Trevor, do you agree? I agree with you on that. If you put in that into that perspective, the, the Clippers are the team that can basically move all the way up and win their half of the bracket. And once you face the Lakers and you upset the Lakers in game, at least in game six, that kind of will shock the world in saying the Clippers are legitimate, can win this entire thing in four or five games by being a superstar Lakers team like that. So I'm thinking, you're right. Being the little brother in that in the city and you beating them, you are now, I would say, you are now the top dog. You're going to show the world what you can do and, and we'll put probably Kawhi over LeBron James maybe. Isaiah, with this further, you know, and, you know, obviously I live in San Diego. We've got the Padres and, you know, some minor league franchises. But I look to Los Angeles as where I've got basketball. I've got, um, you know, soccer, uh, you know, soccer and stuff like that, though. But I look at it this way, though, is I would is I kind of compare Lakers Clippers now to what is brewing with Major League Soccer in L.A., LAFC and the L.A. Galaxy. The Galaxy, of course, have been a staple of MLS for 25 years and LAFC, the little brother franchise never had beaten the galaxy in a meaningful game. What do they do? Their first ever victory against the galaxy in the postseason last year at bank of California stadium. I think for the lake, for the Clippers to have like their hallmark victory in club history, like their, like their most meaningful victory other than a championship would be 
to knock out the big bad Lakers in the postseason somewhere down the bracket. Second round, conference final, if we're still doing the conference final thing here. But Isaiah, would you agree, though, uh, you know, with Trevor and myself that the Clippers face the pressure, not for the fact of like, you know, first time they've had like a bunch of superstars, but that they might get their shot at the Lakers for the first time in the postseason? Oh, yeah, for sure. Because, you know, like people like don't really care about regular season games and the Clippers haven't gotten out of the first round, if I'm not mistaken, or no, they haven't gone to the conference finals ever. So the Clippers have to get to the conference finals because if they can't do it with this squad of Kawhi, Paul George, and Doc Rivers coaching them, then when are you going to ever, yeah, then when are you going to ever get past that hump and go to the conference finals and then go to the NBA finals? So if it's not now, then you're never going to do it. Trevor, before we move on to the next part of the NBA, of the NBA question here is, which team probably, if they don't reach the finals or they don't win the whole thing, which team in your mind would it be a bigger disappointment for them not to hoist uh, the Larry O'Brien trophy, the Lakers or the Clippers? I think it's probably the Lakers. With the rich history of winning, it's the Lakers. They should be winning championships. That's the organization. And they haven't been there, like you said. They've been out of the playoffs for five years. It would be nice for them to actually win it again and show them that there's a Lakers potential dynasty or a start of something great on along the way they don't get to the end of it it feels like it's a failure for lakers fans around me like we have one of the best players in the world and we couldn't even get it done so it would feel like a letdown for lakers fans isaiah what do you think which which team is it a bigger disappointment for if they don't win the whole thing the clips or the lakers so I said when we went about the who has more pressure in the bubble, I said the Clippers simply because of the offseason expectations. But for this question, I'm going to go with the Lakers because coming into the bubble, the Lakers had the best record in the entire NBA. Uh, they had so such great chemistry with LeBron and AD gelling really good. And then you got guys like Danny Green and Rajon Rondo and Dwight Howard and all these guys. The team just was gelling really good. They had great, great chemistry and they were primed to win or yeah, to win the NBA title or even get to the NBA finals this year. So if the Lakers don't get to the NBA finals this year, um, it will be a major disappointment. Yeah, I think the Lakers probably would be the bigger disappointment because, again, the Clippers have not, you know, they've never been to the finals or, as Isaiah said, beyond round two in their history. So it would be probably like a bonus prize, honestly, if they got beyond round two and into round three, round four, where the Lakers, of course, they don't hang division championships. They don't hang conference championships. They only hang NBA title banners. So that would definitely make sense for sure uh, with that one. And with that, Trevor, one more uh, NBA topic here. Uh, we know about the Lakers being a threat out West, but of course the Milwaukee Bucks, I think we're uh, a lot of people are building Bucks Lakers for the finals. I think I would be all game for, for seven games in that one. But Trevor, in your mind, who would be Milwaukee's biggest threat along the I way? And why? I feel like Milwaukee's biggest threat. I feel like there's potential maybe three, but at the point they will knock each other out. So my first one would probably be the Boston Celtics. Decent squad can very compete and all that. My second one would be the Miami Heat with Jimmy Butler and the, the crew. So that can be an interesting series. And then the last but not least, the 76ers, if they get hot at the right time, they're an unstoppable team to beat. So it's just really how the players are going to end up unfolding in these eight games that are coming up. So at that point, it's really hard to test what teams are going to still be healthy and winning to, willing to compete in that scenario. So those are my top three. But it's just going to – they end up going to knock each other out, and one of those teams are going to end up facing the Bucs in the 
Yeah, eventually, Isaiah, there's going to be someone that gets knocked out along the way. So I think Trevor's on to a good point, though, with Boston. I think that Boston has been geared or looked at as that team that could be the kryptonite for Milwaukee and for Giannis. Uh, If the Sixers are on the right page, maybe. uh, Miami, probably a little bit. I'm I'm kind of unsure about the Heat because I know they got Jimmy Butler and guys like that, though. But again, very intriguing team, though, nonetheless. Isaiah, who would be, in your mind, the biggest threat to Milwaukee to knock them off their pedestal in the Eastern Conference and why? Ooh, um, so I'm going to give you guys the shocker of the night. You might want to get the boom goes the dynamite moment, but the the team that I believe is the biggest threat to the Bucks is the Miami Heat. I've been saying this since the trade deadline, ever since they got J- uh, Andrea Godala and Jay Crowder. I've been saying that because, first of all, the Heat's got a great coach in Eric Spolstra. Secondly, they got great star power with Jimmy Butler. We know what he can do on offense and the defensive side of the ball. Their perimeter defense is fantastic with Butler, Iguodala, and Jay Crowder. And then their interior defense, you got Bam Bam Abada-Ayo, who is one of the the best centers in the Eastern Conference. And then the Miami Heat, if you watch the regular season, they look like they have figured out how to stop Giannis and Tentacumpo. They... Giannis's worst games this regular season has been against the Miami Heat. So I believe with all those things factored in, I think the uh, the Heat are the biggest threat to the Bucks. You know, I think all three of those teams, guys, sound intriguing. Again, I would probably main – Boston's probably my main pick is, again, Jason Tatum is a whole nother animal, it looks like, and he's going to be very sharp this upcoming uh, run here for these exhibition games or these uh, regular season games, I should say. Exhibitions were already played. Uh, so Boston, I think, has been – you know, they've always been in the mix, you know, and I know that they've had some transitional years. And I think Brad Stevens has done a great job as the coach for the Celtics. Uh, I would think that the Sixers, if they're on the same page, that is my only concern, though, is that, you know, that the egos amongst Embiid and Simmons, you know, they, they clash heads, I think, way too often. They kind of, you know, cancel out each other again. I don't know if Brett, uh, if uh, Brown's the right answer uh, for the head coaching spot there in Philly. And again, though, I would not count out Miami because, Eric Spolstra, while he can't win games with these guys, he knows how to coach in the postseason. He knows what it takes to get there. So I would think that all three of those teams, guys, are in fact um, also, in, uh, in my mind, probably the biggest threats for Milwaukee. And then, of course, the Lakers probably in the finals of the end. I think I think mainly it, uh, I think the Lakers and Bucks in the finals, if it happens, will rely solely on how LeBron, if LeBron is matched up with Giannis all games. I think, guys, we saw that probably before the shutdown, when the Lakers played Milwaukee at Staples, when the Lakers had switched up the defensive alignment and put LeBron on Giannis, Giannis couldn't hit a shot. I mean, and it was crazy to see how much he had, you know, uh, digressed during the course of that game. So we'll see how things do in fact go. And one more, uh, one more uh, for the NBA before we move into the power five fellas, Uh, Trevor, in your mind, who is the number eight seed in the Western conference and why? Number eight seed. It's so tough. I, re- I really, I can't pick that. that that's what I'll, I'll have to say. I'll tell you after the eight games are done, <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so you'll, you, you gotta, you gotta watch and I'll, I'll tell you who my number eight seed was. <laughs> that is great. Isaiah, how about you for your eight spot? I've got a very shocking pick. This is very, very shocking. This might call, uh, yeah, it might cause Callan and Trevor to walk off the set, but I'm going to go with the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns. 
I am the reason why, first of all, as a Lakers fan, I'm hoping for the Phoenix Suns because they would be an easy challenge and we won't have to use any energy in that first round, which would be good for us come uh, second round, conference finals, finals. But the reason why I say the Phoenix Suns is because if you look at their team, Monty Williams, who has done a fantastic job coaching the Phoenix Suns, he has implemented a ball movement offense, which has really helped unlock Devin Booker and Kelly Oubre and those other guys that are having career years. I think with Oubre back healthy, uh, Devin Booker being the star that he is, DeAndre Ayton, and some of these teams that aren't really going to be trying like the uh, the Spurs, obviously, because DeMar DeRozan, he's out. LaMarcus Aldridge, he's out. They're probably going to be playing a bunch of rookies. Uh, then you have Portland. I don't know uh, about their injuries, but I just think the Phoenix Suns, he's got, they've got the easier schedule. And you just remember, you just got to get within three games of the Memphis Grizzlies. Because if you get within three games, you will force a play-in tournament, which you will play the Grizzlies for the right to get that eighth seed. So and all anything can happen once you get into that play-in tournament. And the Suns, I believe, are only, what, five games back, if I'm not mistaken. So if the Suns get into that play-in tournament, then I think they have a legit shot against the Grizzlies cleaning up an aisle Leong at six games out of the last spot. But again, they did take the top 13, except for uh, Golden State, obviously, and also Minnesota did not make it down to the bubble. Uh, but guys, again, it's so close with the standings right now. We have Memphis at eight right now, Portland at nine. New Orleans just, I think, beat the daylights out of the Jazz today earlier in the first game. And then Sacramento, the Spurs, and then the Suns uh, making it out there. I agree, though, about the Spurs again, probably – not the best uh, George Popovich or uh, Greg Popovich-led team, I should say, over the past uh, couple, uh, you know, uh, so far this season. Uh, the Kings, of course, trying to break a, you know, uh, breaking a playoff drought probably for like the first time since 2002, you know, about an 18-year span there. Uh, the Pelicans can be very intriguing if Zion is going to be healthy. Of course, Memphis is already in that eight spot right now. And then, of course, is Phoenix. But I, guys, I still have to ride with Portland because Damian Lillard, guys, has become a guy that, I would trust with the game kind of coming down the wire as things have in fact progressed. I know of course they probably are dealing with some injuries up in Portland, but that is just one guy guys that I think that we can't count out in crunch time. I mean, how many times have we seen him in the postseason hit a big shot against the Rockets? Of course the walk-off three to beat the thunder last season, where again, he literally waves at Paul George as they go, uh, as they leave the floor. Uh, I'm going to go with Portland uh, to win, to, to get, uh, get that eight spot. I do, though, think that Memphis was probably a, a cool story, though, with John Morant, who I thought was very impressive this season, probably is going to win Rookie of the Year. But uh, overall, though, I think that Portland and their veteran experience probably uh, leads them into the eight spot. Uh, Trevor, anything else to add to this before we move on to the Power Five? I finally made up my decision. I'm finally going to reveal it. I'm going to go with the Pelicans. Um, I, I think if Zion can get healthy and perform like he did when he first got back, I think the Pelicans can easily slip into that A spot and, you know, challenge the Lakers and give it like a true test for the Lakers to deal with a young and vibrant team that they could potentially see next season in another playoff battle. So it's very good. Interesting. We get to see our, our first ever true good matchup that where games actually matter against LeBron James versus Zion. So it's going to be a really good battle in the post. So I can't wait for that to happen if it does end up happening. It'll be good to see. With that, Trevor, let's move into the Power Five. All right.
right. It is the Power Five time here, folks, on No BS, Season 2, Episode 1. Uh, with that, fellows, tonight, it is our uh, five bold NBA predictions for the bubble uh, getting underway. Um, Isaiah, I guess we will start with you on this one. What are your five bold predictions for the NBA bubble? All right. So I'm going to go from five all the way to one. Five being not really that bold, one being the boldest of the bold. So number five, the Los Angeles Lakers will win their 17th NBA championship. The Lakers will defeat the Clippers in a very, very close and very feisty seven-game series. And then they will move on to the NBA, uh, yeah, the finals and beat the Milwaukee Bucks, I believe, in six games. Giannis, you know, he's the Bucks have a great team around him, but it's two stars against one star. Gian, Anthony Davis, I believe, will go off in that series. Uh, my fourth, my fourth bold prediction is that not I said the Phoenix Suns are going to make the playoffs as the eighth seed. I believe in that series against the Los Angeles Lakers, even though it will be in a losing cause and in a sweep, my boy Devin Booker will average 35 plus per game and show the world uh, how why he is a great, great basketball player. Yeah, player and shut all of his haters up. Uh, number three, I'm going to say this. I The Oklahoma City Thunder will pull off an upset in the first round and get to the second round. Billy Donovan's done a fantastic job. I love that young team. They just have so much energy. Um, number two, obviously I said that uh, before we moved on to the power five, and that is the Phoenix Suns led by Devin Booker with Kelly Oubre, Monty Williams. They will get that eighth seed in the Western Conference. And number one, Anthony Davis will win finals MVP. All right, not a bad top five there for our power five for our five NBA bold predictions. Trevor, what say you? So I'm basing off mine off the similar criteria. Five being not as like wild and ridiculous. So five, I'm going to go with a little mystery, but I'm going to go with the Indiana Pacers. If they play the Miami Heat, we'll take it to a game seven and pull off a buzzer beater to upset them. So that's, it's, it's possible, but... It's probably not likely going to happen, but it's possible. Number four would be, I'll probably go with LeBron James getting the coronavirus and having his Jordan moment when he comes back. I don't know at what point in the season, but I feel like it could happen, you know, or AD getting the virus and having a stellar game. So it's very possible for that to actually become a reality. So you, you almost made positive. me walk off the set. <laughs> I'll tell you that. All right. All right. My number three, I'm going to go with the 76ers. We'll get, we'll have a deep run in the playoffs and upset Boston right before they have to play the Bucks. So I could see that actually become a reality. My number two, like how we had LeBron James with the coronavirus, let's give it to Giannis and he upsets the Lakers with a healthy LeBron James. Put that out there. And my number one would be the trap game of the century, the Orlando Magic upsetting the Bucks, and putting it out there. <laughs> Are we talking about a seven-game series or one game? We're talking seven-game series. So the Bucks <laughs> or the Magic upsets the Bucks. 
After all, though, Orlando does upset. kind of have a home court advantage with <laughs> yeah. them playing these games at the Walt Disney World Resort, which, oh, by the way, Disney is on their jerseys for their sponsors. So I totally see that. Uh, I just did mine five through one, really nothing uh, like, you know, five or, you know, any of that rate, just five in general. Uh, for me, guys, number five, the NBA is going to go off this entire, uh, uh, the NBA uh, season will go on all the way to the finals with no cases of COVID-19. They've done it great, great for two weeks, but no COVID throughout the entire duration of the entire season. Uh, number four, the Rockets implode again and fizzle out somewhere along the road and Mike D'Antoni gets fired probably, or they blow up the roster because I think James Harden has had way too many opportunities to lead this Houston club deep into the playoffs and he never gets over the hump. He gets stopped in his tracks, whether it was been Golden State, the Clippers even, teams like that. And I think that they probably have to blow things up or, or something else like that. Uh, thirdly, along with Oklahoma City, they will win their first round series regardless of who they play. They win that series. But secondly, my number two option here with this one, Deontay Ayton of the Suns is going to be the best player from a recent draft lottery to have a stellar performance or play very well throughout the entire duration of the bubble. And finally, number one, the Lakers win the title without playing a seven-game series. Wow. <sighs> That is bold. <laughs> that is why, folks, this as, is the power five. Not as bold as Trevor's, you know, the magic are going to upset the bug. So that, folks, is our power five today. And before we wrap up for the evening, uh, Trevor, any final thoughts you want to pass along to the viewers at home? Hey, it was a great episode. I enjoyed Callan on the show. This is going to be some fantastic stuff in season two you know we might get some college football in the future nfl coming back so stay tuned for more some crazy outtakes you know and some fantastic stuff that we have on no bs and isaiah what say you um i just gotta say you know patrick mahomes you know i i don't know why i hate you so much maybe it's because you beat my niners but i you better send me some like gift baskets or something. Cause I defended you like crazy and I lost my voice. I strained my vocal cords, but you know, it's been a great episode. Like Trevor said, um, I just, uh, Oh yeah. Tune in on Monday and Wednesday for another wild, wild, wild sports talk episode with me, Callan and John, you know, you're probably going to see more paper ripping. Who knows? Maybe someone will throw a chair at the camera or something like that. Whenever we have a show, every, like a lot of wild stuff goes down. As long as I as long as I as the window behind you is not damaged during the course of a program, <laughs> I think we'll be fine. Yes. Yes. <laughs> But with that, folks, a uh, pleasure to be a part of the new of the uh, No BS team as of tonight. Again, thanks for the warm welcome, everybody. And again, uh, glad we had Ryan on for a bit to talk about the NFL Top 100 list. And of course, thanks to Trevor and Isaiah and Stephen for the warm welcome. And thanks to our viewers out there for tuning in and giving us over 1,100 views last night on Wild Sports Talk on the MI6 Sports Network. So again, folks, we'll come back with more programming with you folks. And again, you can catch Isaiah and myself Monday and Wednesday with Jonathan Mathis on Wild Sports Talk. And of course, folks, tune in here every Thursday for No BS at 5.30 p.m. right back here on the MI6 Sports Network. With that, folks, have a great rest of your day and a great weekend. We'll see you folks next week. Take care. So long. Bye-bye. Three C's, Mafia! Three C's, Mafia! It's going down. Y'all know what time it is.